Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike. One fond childhood memory that I have is my parents reading from a Bible story picture book. I loved those stories. They brought my imagination to times and places long ago. They introduced me to who God is and his attributes. And they showed me that God is not aloof, but active in the world that he's created. One of the stories I remember vividly is of Daniel in the lion's den, which Nairi just read. This morning we'll be going a little deeper into the story, looking at Daniel's faith and how he lived it out in his daily life, work, and relationships. Most importantly, we'll see that Daniel's God, the living God, is a God of rescue. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your continual grace in our lives. We ask for your help through the work of the Holy Spirit to show us in a greater way who you are through your word. Amen. Before we get into the story from Daniel chapter 6, let's look at some context. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament opens with King Nebuchadnezzar, who was ruler of the powerful Babylonian Empire, which was located in modern-day Iraq. His armies had attacked and overtaken Jerusalem about 605 B.C., hundreds of years before Jesus was born. God's people had disobeyed him repeatedly, and so God was allowing foreign nations to invade and conquer Israel. When the Babylonians would conquer another nation, they would plunder. They would take wealth and people back to their nation, back to their kingdom. Daniel chapter 1 records that Daniel was among this group of people taken back to Babylon. They were known as exiles. Daniel and a few others were to be trained for three years in Babylon with the intent that they would serve in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. They would have gone, undergone rigorous training to learn the language and culture and literature and customs of Babylon. This was all designed for them to assimilate into the Babylonian ways and for them to adopt the Babylonian religion, which included paganism and actual worship of the king. Daniel 1 records something striking about Daniel. It says that when he was taken to Babylon, he decided not to worship the pagan gods, but to continue to worship and follow the God he knew, Yahweh, the God of Israel. This conviction sheds some light on our passage that we're going to be looking at today. Fast forward to our text, Daniel chapter 6. It's many years later. Daniel is no longer a young man, but he's approximately 80 years old. He's seen a lot of life in his lifetime. Many of those who were exiled with Daniel decades before have gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the city walls. But Daniel has stayed. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer in power. There's a new ruling kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. They were the most powerful kingdom that the world had ever seen. 
Their dominion spanned from modern-day Iran all the way to India. Daniel had been living and working in a foreign land his whole adult life, and many of you know what that's like of living and working in other countries. I can also relate. I grew up in Canada, lived in the United States, lived in India for 10 years, and now Lebanon. Look with me at Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Let's turn there. Darius, who was the current king, decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Verse 3. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Well, Daniel did important work here. The king would need trusted officials to oversee and account for everything in the kingdom. As verse 2 says, so that the king would not be defrauded. We can imagine them administrating all kinds of things, the agriculture, the food production, and its distribution over the entire empire, keeping track of the vast reserves of wealth and gold and animals and other commodities, overseeing the collecting of taxes, accounting for weapons and military might, these areas and many more. And Daniel was one of the three high officials who supervised the 120 satraps spread throughout the whole kingdom. Look again at verse 3. We get an indication of his status. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Well, what an amazing journey Daniel has been on. From being a prisoner of war to being now in line to run the whole kingdom. It reminds us of the story of Joseph, doesn't it? Who was sold by his brothers as a slave into Egypt, but then rose to be one of the leaders of that country. Daniel's abilities came from God. Daniel 1.17 tells us that God gave Daniel and the other exiles knowledge and understanding so much so that the king found them ten times better than the other wise men in the kingdom. And Daniel faithfully stewarded this knowledge and understanding using the gifts that had been given to him by God. So Daniel can be a model. He can be an example for us in our lives and our work. We may not have a high position like Daniel, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given abilities, gifts, opportunities, and experiences which you can use for the good of others and the good and the glory of God. Well, you would think that Daniel with such an important position and being an important asset to the kingdom would be just sailing along with no problems in his life. But we see that isn't the case, right? Look with me at verse 4. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption 
was found in him. There is a real threat here. Daniel's co-workers are trying to find fault against him, but they come up short because he's trustworthy with no corruption. Daniel's outnumbered here. The text doesn't explicitly say why, but most likely his co-workers are jealous. And perhaps they didn't want Daniel to expose their own corruption in their work. Well, you can imagine them digging around, asking people, has he taken any bribes or looking to see if he's been making some money from the kingdom on the side, skimming off the top, but they couldn't find anything. It doesn't seem fair, right? But these kinds of things happen even to those who follow God and are honest. Well, Daniel was trustworthy, but he wasn't perfect. In chapter 9, we see that Daniel is praying to God with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and he's confessing sins of the people to God. He includes himself in those prayers. He says, we have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. He wasn't perfect, but we see a picture of Daniel as someone who lived with integrity and simple faithfulness in his life and in his work. In our day, we often underappreciate simple daily faithfulness in life and work, don't we? Rather, we're often driven to seek something new or something grand, something exciting. We're captivated by the accomplishments of an Elon Musk or our favorite sports star or influencer. Some people are given large platforms to have immense power and influence. And if that's you, great. Go for it. Pursue it with gusto for God's glory. But the reality is, is that most of us will not have a million followers on social media, right? But all of us can engage in simple faithfulness where we are, where we live, in our work and in our relationships. The reality of life is that most of our days are ordinary. We get up, we go to work, we eat, sleep, repeat, and yet we can show God's worth to the world when we live out our lives faithfully, day in and day out, doing what He calls us to do. As we enter a new year, I would encourage you to take some time to evaluate, perhaps this coming week, to take some time and ask some reflective questions. Where has God placed you now? What work has God given you to do in this season? And how can you carry it out with excellence and with trustworthiness? What opportunities to love and serve others are available to you in everyday life now? How can you faithfully serve your family, your friends, church, neighbors, co-workers? Not with a regiment that will run you ragged, but in small, simple ways. This is the call to live out simple faithfulness where we live, work, and play. In this way, we can look to Daniel as an example, someone to learn from and emulate in our lives. Well, let's go on. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, 
we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. They knew Daniel. They knew that he prayed to God. They couldn't find any dirt in his performance at work, so they would make his religious devotion his Achilles' heel. We won't read the whole next section, but in verse 6, the men went to King Darius and told him that all the officials had agreed that the king should make a new law. Of course, they lied. Daniel wasn't in agreement. But they proposed to the king a proposal. They said for 30 days, if anyone in the kingdom prays to anybody except the king, they would be thrown into the lion's den. They are clever here, aren't they? Appealing to the king's ego. Darius would be the focus of the known world. He would be God of the month. It's a brilliant branding strategy. Not only that, but the law would be politically smart. It would help to unite the vast kingdom. And after 30 days, the people could just go back to worshiping any god that they chose. Well, Darius agreed and signed the new law the edict. Look at verse 10 with me to see Daniel's response. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. For Daniel, nothing changed. He continued his lifestyle habit of praying to God just like he had always done. Towards the end of verse 10, it says that he gave thanks to his God. Keep in mind, this is after he knew that he could be sentenced to death for praying to God. Prayer was a habit of Daniel. It was motivated by his love and his devotion to his God. It says Daniel prayed three times a day. This was his chosen pattern to pray three times a day, but the Bible doesn't stipulate a specific number of times we should pray or the length of our prayers. There's freedom in this. But the point we can take from Daniel is that he prayed regularly. It was part of his life. And even a new law, a law with a death penalty, wasn't going to deter him from praying. When Daniel hears of the law, his reflex isn't to run to the king and to try to use his wasta to negotiate. Neither does he spiral down into anxiety. He prays. Since his youth, as recorded way back in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel has made prayer his first resort. In the early days of his work with King Nebuchadnezzar, when the king was in a fit of rage because he wanted a dream interpreted and threatened to kill all the wise men in the kingdom, Daniel responded calmly and gathered his friends together to pray about the situation. Then God revealed to Daniel the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream as well as its meaning, so then Daniel and his friends and the wise men of Babylon were saved. God answered Daniel's prayer. In his youth, and now in his golden years, Daniel shows that prayer is his go-to, his daily fuel, as well as his lifeline in times of crisis. Prayer was a formative practice in Daniel's life. Well, life throws us continual challenges, doesn't it? 
Every day, whether it's something large or something small, we're faced with difficult things. But often our first reaction is to often try and fix it with our own solution, our own know-how or our own energy. We should use our abilities, but Christian, you have the God of the universe with you. As a first step, let's bring everything to God in prayer, asking for His wisdom and help as a first step. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to pray and give thanks to the Lord, to make petition and implore God. Dare to be grateful. Dare to ask for help. Dare to turn to the Lord for rescue. Well, at the end of verse 10, we see how Daniel prays. His posture is kneeling. He bends his knees to show whose authority he's under, God's. He shows honor and reverence to God. We don't have to kneel when we pray, but we certainly can. Notice where Daniel prays. He keeps his windows open. He's not making a show or a spectacle of his prayer, but he's not hiding it either, isn't he? Think about it. Daniel could have said, you know, it's only 30 days. I think maybe I'll just pray silently in my heart and in private. God will hear. And that's true. God certainly would have heard. But Daniel knew that it was important to show his devotion to God in an active way. He knew that he couldn't give the impression to others that he was obeying the evil new law. He chose the path of civil disobedience. We see this principle in the New Testament as well. There's a story in Acts chapter 5 where the ruling officials were telling the Christians not to speak and teach about Jesus. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. The same thing is happening here. Daniel was respectful to the authorities over him, but there came a point where he couldn't do what they asked because it dishonored his God. We won't read the entire next section, but in verse 11, the men conspiring against Daniel go to spy on him. And sure enough, they see him praying to his God. The officials knew that Daniel would keep praying despite the law. In fact, they were banking on it, weren't they? They had their proof, and they rushed off to tell the king. You can imagine their excitement. Their plan has worked. We're finally going to get rid of this Daniel. When they got to the king, they reminded the king of the edict and told him that Daniel is continuing to pray to his God. They don't refer to Daniel with respect as one of the high officials, but rather they refer to him in a degrading way. They say he's one of the exiles from Judah, pointing out and emphasizing his outsider status. Well, let's look at verse 14. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, 
May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. While the king was upset, he liked Daniel. He trusted Daniel. At first, he tried to arrange to rescue Daniel from the edict, but in the end, he went ahead and sentenced Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. There was no earthly hope for Daniel in the den of lions. King Darius had been used by the jealous, vindictive officials. Well, that night, Darius had insomnia in the palace, but Daniel had peace in the den. Let's go on to verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. I find it kind of humorous. We probably would have had some other choice words at that moment. But Daniel calmly replies, may the king live forever. Let's continue in verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me. For I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Well, what a surprise for the king to find Daniel alive. What an overnight experience for Daniel to go through that. I would have liked to have seen the silver-haired senior citizen Daniel hanging out with the lions in that den. He was untouched. God miraculously spared him. Look with me at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Well, what an amazing story. Let's look at four lessons which we can take from the story and apply specifically to our lives. First of all, walking humbly with God regardless of our circumstance. 
Daniel was in some difficult circumstances, wasn't he? Being exiled to a faraway land, working for decades under foreign dictators, and now at the peak of his career, he's betrayed by his fellow workers and let down by his boss, the king. Talk about a toxic work environment. It would have, wouldn't have been easy. But we see a quiet confidence in Daniel and his life. It was evident that Daniel was secure and confident in his God. Did you notice all the times the king refers to Daniel's God? For example, in verse 16, the king says, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Daniel's God, Yahweh, was not an abstract philosophy, but a true and a relational God. And because Daniel was secure in his relationship with God, he could continue to follow him even in the face of death. The same is true for us. If you are in Christ, you are secure. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, we are united to him for eternity. The Bible says that nothing can snatch us from his hand. So we can live with a quiet confidence like Daniel did, even in the face of uncertainty or in the face of danger. Well, you may not be facing a lion's den this morning, but what challenges are in front of you today? Is it related to the uncertainty of the situation that we're facing in the region? Is it a potential health crisis? or a decision you're asking God to lead you in. Take comfort in the fact that the same God who is with Daniel in the lion's den is with you today. Secondly, when we follow God's will, there's no guarantee of everything in our lives going smoothly. This has often been a mistake that Christians feel that if I just obey God and follow God, then everything that will happen to me will be good. Now, no doubt there are blessings and benefits that come from obeying God in our lives, but we are not immune from bad things happening. Just like here with Daniel, we live in a world that's broken by sin, and we live with people who are broken by sin. Daniel's story is a reminder that difficult things happen to followers of God. But it's also an encouragement that when we face challenges, God is with us and we can continue to trust Him for the future. Thirdly, we must not dismiss Daniel's example of faithfulness nor think that we can get there by trying to do better in our own strength. These are two common reactions to Daniel's example of faithfulness. Either dismissing it or trying to replicate it in our own strength. First of all, dismissing it. We might look at Daniel and think, well, you know, I could never be faithful like Daniel in obedience to God. So we think, good on you, Daniel, but that's just not for me. This attitude is one of minimizing God's standards of faithfulness and obedience, which he does call us to in our lives. The thinking says, Yes, I'm a Christian, but following Jesus with my everyday life is just a little too much. 
I'll leave that for the super spiritual people. Or we might look at Daniel's example and think, okay, I've got this. I'm going to be just like Daniel. New year, new me. So we set some goals and we say, I'm going to pray more, eat more vegetables, work harder, worry less. We tell ourselves, if we only try harder and get more disciplined, we'll be able to conquer our flaws and fly through 2024 with more than the above average amount of faithfulness. But the reality is, is that we don't, right? We can't. We fall short and we prove that we have times of unfaithfulness and disobedience towards God. Well, what happens when our attempts to be, be like Daniel, to dare to be a Daniel, fall flat by mid-January? What happens when we fail to meet our own expectations to do better, to obey more? We are blanketed with a sense of shame and failure. Have you ever experienced this? We feel worse than before we tried to do better. So what's the point? The reality is, is that we don't even live up to our own standards, never mind God's standards. But the good news, the greater reality, is that Jesus did, which brings us to our fourth and central point. In this book of Daniel, we see in the story the glory of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament, there are glimpses or foreshadowings of the promised Messiah, Jesus. And Daniel is one of these. We call Daniel a type of Christ, a foreshadowing, a prophetic symbol pointing to Jesus. Both Daniel and Jesus were exiles. Daniel from his home country, Jesus came from heaven to the earth. Both Daniel and Jesus were excellent in spirit, full of wisdom from God. Both Daniel and Jesus were conspired against by jealous leaders and falsely accused. Both Daniel and Jesus responded with prayer, Jesus in the garden and Daniel's prayers. But there's a huge difference in the outcome. While Daniel was spared in the lion's den, Jesus was not. It was the plan of the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, that Jesus would come to the earth and take the full punishment of our sin upon himself. Jesus followed the will of his Father completely. Jesus was sinless. He was innocent. He was completely just in his life. But he was treated with utter injustice. He was falsely accused convicted and crucified to death on the cross. But then three years, or sorry, three days later, God resurrected him from the dead. When we put our faith, our trust in Jesus and his work on the cross, we are rescued. Jesus was not spared like Daniel, but he bore the punishment of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus was our substitute so that we could be rescued. And this is the central message of Christianity, that God is a God of rescue. 
King Darius's decree described in verse 27 says that God is a God who rescues and delivers. It's not about us trying to be good enough to save ourselves. Rather, it's about Jesus coming to rescue and save us. It's not about trying to follow and obey God on our own strength and willpower, but about giving our failures, sins, and shame to Jesus. This frees us to respond to Him out of a sense, not out of a sense of duty, but rather in love, because He first loved us. The work that He started in us, He will complete. Have you ever tried swimming against the current in the ocean or tried to walk against the waves in the ocean? It's hard. It's difficult, isn't it? This is what it's like when we try to live the Christian life on our own strength. Rather, our growth should be much more like floating down the river in a raft. The current is taking us in the raft. In the same way in our Christian life, let Jesus take you along. Let him lead you in your life. As we turn our heart affections toward King Jesus, as we are in awe of his great rescue, as we treasure these truths in our hearts, we will find security and rescue in God, the ultimate rescuer. And we will be empowered and changed by him from the inside out to live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this ancient story of Daniel. God, you are the hero of this story, rescuing Daniel for your glory. Help us to have faithfulness in our lives. We depend on your power and not our own. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.